Do you ever want to be a guest on a super cool podcast hosted by a glamorous power couple from their cutting-edge home studio on the outskirts of a major metropolitan world hub? Hollywood, anyone? Us, too. Until then, let's pretend. One of these days, you might get a DM, a PM, an EM, or even a message in a bottle inviting you to join my husband and I for an hour or two in our chat lab, working on solutions for all the world's problems. And when you are invited, there's only one response. Yeah, uh-huh. Here is a bulletin from the WLW Comex newsroom. A late bulletin from Dallas, where three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade today in downtown Dallas. No casualties reported at first. However, the latest flash indicates uh, President Kennedy was seriously wounded, perhaps fatally, by an assassin's bullet. Now, that's all the information we have. A bulletin, a sniper, apparently seriously wounded President Kennedy in downtown Dallas today, perhaps fatally. We'll keep you posted as the news comes into the WLW News. Welcome, listeners. Thank you for joining us again on Yeah, Aha uh-huh with Lisa and Phil. This week, we're talking to Sarah Peterson and Katana Zachary. They wrote The Lone Star Speaks, Untold Stories of the JFK Assassination. Now, this is kind of fascinating to many, many people, partly because the the story that's officially out there is just so questionable, if not even slightly ridiculous, that... And I think there's been uh, some fatigue right. about the conspiracy theories over time where, you know, a lot of people, when they were young, they became embedded with this mm-hmm. um, news story, whether they experienced it or not. A lot of people's early mm-hmm. introduction to uh, true crime or things. Right. That are, you know, so I think a lot of people develop. Yeah, the questionableness. Of, of just about all of it, it was from the very beginning, the, the secrecy behind it. And, and plus the, the angles, yeah, the angles, the, the popular, the sheer popularity of JFK in the, the popular mind. And, and you have to wonder if the, the, the myth behind the man would have continued had he stayed president had he finished his term or right, even been he had sort of a house of cards right because of a lot of the things that he was doing to undermine right. security and his relationships with women you know yeah. um, extramarital affairs and things right. that rub people the wrong way and i i think almost everyone has an angle of interest towards this um situation right whether it's from a hollywood angle whether it's from a popularity history presidents it's a very very open topic so welcome sarah and katana yeah welcome thank you thank you Uh sorry about the length of that (laughs) (laughs) but we are really into this yeah we're trying to stick the landing there on the yeah (laughs) now i know uh what you're going to find coming up is that i kind of have looked at it from a from a maryland angle more because I've I've always been kind of a fan of Marilyn, and I've I've always wondered if the Kennedys didn't take her out. Well, we were going to get to that. Okay, but we'll get to that. Yeah, well, I just wanted to. I didn't yeah. know if you had that in the notes. Well, let's. Let, I okay. do. But let's start. So let's at go the, ahead and let's start at the seminal event that we're talking about, mm-hmm. November twenty second, nineteen sixty three, around noon or lunchtime. The president is driving 
um, towards Dealey Plaza, and they take a left turn down Elm Street in an open limousine. So let's talk a little bit. Was that a limousine or was it just a convertible? Well, there's your first question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it was a limousine. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. A, a very long limousine. Okay. Okay. But the point is, yeah, the president insisted that he be completely open air. That he available. Be to, yeah, and he refused to use the bulletproof bubble. That, that you know. He'd been I didn't even know they had those back then. Oh yeah. Well, it wasn't bulletproof. Oh, it was not. People thought it was. It mm. would have deflected a shot. It would have caused shadows from the sun to. Uh-huh. Uh, keep a sniper possibly from being accurate, but actually a bullet could have penetrated it. Okay. Okay. But the common people didn't know that. Right. Right. It it could have Mm -hmm. served as a deterrent at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe even he might've survived. Possibly. Yes. Based on everything, do you think that it's possible that it was recommended by the powers that be so that kind of as a, uh, well, we suggested he use the bulletproof bubble. It wasn't our fault. It was suggested and Uh he determined that if it was raining, they would use the top to Mm -hmm. protect pretty much Jackie and her looks. Right. But it was it. In the beginning of the day, it was rainy and kind of nasty, and it blew off, and it became a beautiful day. So he decided that he wanted all of Dallas to be able to see him pretty much in his glory, and if they ran up, he would shake their hands or sometimes even stop the motorcade and got out and shook their hands and then got back in did he do that in dallas yes yes Yes. he did yes a group of nuns had had, uh, got him to stop and there was a group of children that had a sign saying please shake our hands and he Mm -hmm. was you know he liked things like that and that would have been impossible if the bulletproof or non-bulletproof bubble had been on the car he wouldn't have been able to open the door the way he did Mm. So but, but the bottom line is the Secret Service is the one who has the ability to tell the president, no, you have to, for your own safety, have the top on. And if he would have said, no, I don't want it, I don't want it, it stops at the Secret Service. They can override the president. In any scenario, when it comes to security, and they did not, uh-huh. they, they didn't protect the buildings in Dallas, where they did in Houston and San Antonio. There were huh. people hanging off the fire escapes, people on top of the buildings. They had, during that day, the police and sheriffs were pretty much told to stand down. And so the sheriffs, when they came down the street of Houston, they're supposed to be looking at the crowd. Instead, they're looking at the president. They're not paying attention to anybody else. They're standing on the steps of the sheriff's department, just looking at the president and waving. They should have been dispersed throughout the crowds with their back yeah. to the motorcade 
looking at people and they weren't. But now, Lisa, after the assassination, believe me, there was a huge split between the Secret Service as to who defended themselves, who admitted, yes, something different should have been done. And in all fairness, they could honestly say he rode in an open car in San Antonio. He rode in an open car in Houston. He rode in an open car a Friday morning in Fort Worth. There were no problems. Of course, at the time, they still knew Dallas was not San Antonio. It was not friendly to Houston. They should have been better prepared for what could have happened there. Mm-hmm. Well, so he sort of established a pattern, though, that he was likely not to have a covered car. Yes, yes. and let's let's be totally fair. Sarah's exactly right. The Secret Service is the final say, and if they had said, "Mr. Mm-hmm. President, we are going to put this bubble top on, whether you like it or not," they could have done that. Now, let's be realistic. How long would you have stayed on the President's Protective Service section if you had angered him and done right. something he really didn't want done? Right. So you can see both sides of this argument. Right. Right. But it's it's just the maybe the first in a series of events that, that made up a perfect storm that, that just became fertile ground for a, a number of theories that have evolved. Yes, exactly. You can look back and see the film of the Secret Service agent who was not in the loop, obviously, who's just shrugging his shoulders saying, why am I being pulled off of the car? Yes, Mm -hmm. and how is that left field? And you can really see that. You know, there's no way to deny that that man did not know he was not going to be riding on the bumper of that car. Right. Right. So you talk about deniability and to bring some structure to our discussion here. I know that plausible deniability is kind of integral to your layout of the uh, book. I saw I saw you speak of it in an interview. I read it in the book. And it's, that term was sort of popularized by the Kennedy assassination. And and so you laid out a, a situation where you had three levels of the assassination. You had the planning phase, the execution, and the cover-up. Correct. And how does plausible deniability play into all of those levels? Well, if you have three parts of the event... And the people involved in the planning have nothing to do with the financial backing or the executing of the assassination or Mm -hmm. the cover up. They can just say, hey, we were planning an event and it could have been the event to kill uh, Castro, say, but they knew what this was going to be. And they might not have known it was going to be JFK, but Mm -hmm. then the executioners came in and they didn't know that this was planned maybe to take out Castro. They didn't know who was financing it, but their job was to take this person out in a crossfire in Dealey Plaza. Now, remember this, the motorcade route was changed just a couple days beforehand. Why was it changed? Well, I believe it was changed because they needed a crossfire. Okay. And the perfect place was Dealey Plaza. So the executioners, they didn't know any of the other people involved in their, the second event. They just knew they were supposed to stand here and get their job done. Then you have the group of the ones who covered it up. 
okay, these things have happened. They don't know who was involved in the others, but they get trickled down of information. And it's like, this is a national security problem. We need to cover this up as soon as possible. And who are we going to finger? Well, we're going to finger a lone gunman. Right. Because that's easy. Maybe the person at the top of the cover-up knew this was coming down and already knew who the patsy was going to be. And yeah. your, your use of the term plausible deniability is a really good one. And the irony of this is that, like you said, Phil, this goes back to the Kennedy administration and long before that also. The government had been using plausible deniability to keep the president from being blamed for certain things that were happening, like the Bay of Pigs, for example. Now, one of the things that that we did is besides talk to people, we would try to find documents that would verify statements. Mm -hmm. One of the documents we found was a memo. Does the name Arthur Schlesinger ring a bell? Um, I've heard that name, but I'm not sure where I've heard I'm not well, sure. He's a yeah. well-known historian and author, mm-hmm. and he was on Kennedy's staff as an advisor. We okay. found a memo right before the Bay of Pigs in which he had sent to President Kennedy saying, in my opinion, if we go ahead with this plan, as far as the Bay of Pigs is concerned, invading mm-hmm. Cuba and yet pretending we weren't behind it, we need to have, here's that term, plausible deniability. And he went on, and this is the truly ironic thing. He said, we need to have a patsy in place so that the blame does not fall on the president. Mm. So so that just became a way of operating for the military and for the government. Right. Sort of a playbook. I kind of feel like what speaks to that very well is the Trump administration. He pretty much had a patsy for everything. (laughs) <laughs> good point. Very good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So getting back to the, uh, so another, another element that came together in this perfect storm sort of is that the, the, the single gun gunman theory of Oswald up in the fourth floor of the Texas school book depository was supported by the Warren commission and everything. But there are some facts about the gun and the placement of the gun and the number of people that were on not only in the building, but on the fourth floor with him. And one of the most interesting elements was that the incredibly dirty bore of the gun, as if it had not been shot recently. So that, I think that was a very interesting part of the uh, puzzle to suggest that maybe he did not fire the shot. It actually well, killed him. There's, they found the gun on the sixth floor, and they said he fired from the sixth floor. But when the officers found the gun, they ID'd it as a German Mauser. None of them ID'd it as a Carcano. Mm-hmm. So then they carried it across, booked it into evidence, supposedly, as a Mauser. After midnight, after all their little research, oh, this Heidel had mail ordered a Carcano. We're going to attach it to Oswald. It is now miraculously a Carcano. Mm -hmm. But do you know there was a Mauser found that day 
on the fourth floor by an FT, an ATF agent. There was a British Enfields rifle found on the rooftop. There was a Johnson semi-automatic that was found behind the gazebo where Zapruder was filming. Mm -hmm. There were multiple rifle types found that day. NBC News New York taking over from this time. There's considerable confusion as to exactly where these rifle shots came from. As we could tell from our report down in Dallas from our own staff man, it's not clear whether or not they came from a building or from an area close to the underpasses, a triple series, a triple group of underpasses, or whether it came from a building. Now, Senator Yarborough of Texas is giving us this kind of information. These are quotes. Uh, these are quotes from the senator just as the just right after the assassination occurred. You could tell, he said, that something awful and tragic had happened. He said, I could see a Secret Service man in the president's car leaning on the car with his hands in anger, anguish, and despair. I knew something tragic had happened. Yarborough had counted three rifle shots. Others have said there were two. As the presidential limousine left downtown Dallas through a triple underpass. The shots were fired from above. Now, that we are sure of. Possibly from one of the bridges or from a nearby building. That's the senator's view. But another witness, television reporter, said he saw a gun emerge from an upper story of a warehouse commanding an unobstructed view of the presidential car. We've already had fleeting references to this warehouse building and a gun emerging from a window. And one of our witnesses... He had talked to a gentleman who looked down that car, supposedly Carcano, the one that this gentleman had packaged up to send to Washington, D.C. to be looked at and gone over. And that's when this person who was working with the FBI said that it was an extremely dirty bore and had not been fired. But that was the Carcano that they now were putting in place of the actual Mauser they had mm -hmm. found. And when you go and look at, at the affidavits and the testimonies of the gentlemen that were there in the beginning when the Mauser was found, they all signed that it was a Mauser. Right. They didn't say it was a Carcano. Mm-hmm. So it makes you wonder how many rifles were in that building that day. One yeah. of the so-called near. Yes, I uh, mean it's Texas, but still. That's what I was going to say. Texas, right. you might find a few guns in Texas, but maybe yeah. not. Uh, right but you in the yeah, you wouldn't think there. And here's the second part: with the president coming to town, why weren't they told? Make sure there's no weapons in your building. Right. right. The sweep, you know, all morning. You yeah. Yes, exactly. Right. Yes, right. nothing like that happened. And then, of course, you have to consider, we've all, we've, the question we've asked is, what would have happened if Lee Harvey Oswald had called in sick that Friday? Okay, this, yeah. this assassination is not going to get called off. There had to be another patsy. Do you yeah. think it's coincidence that what the man that drove Oswald to work that day, Buell Wesley mm -hmm. Frazier, owned a British infield rifle, which was not at the depository, but one was found on the roof. There is a, a actual footage, news, news footage of a police officer carrying that rifle off of the roof 
of the Texas School Book Depository. Right. Once again, yeah. Frazier worked there. Frazier could have been blamed for being on the sixth floor. Frazier, mm-hmm. the gun could have been planted there or one that looked enough like it. Nobody know the difference. Right. I mean, how could they guarantee Oswald wouldn't have waked up with a cold that morning? Right. right. Well, Frazier was arrested, right? Yes, yes he, was. he was. There is no definite word yet that the, that the person who fired the shots at President Kennedy and Governor Connolly in Dallas has been apprehended. We have just received this report, though. Moments ago, authorities took a young man into custody. They took him to the county sheriff's office near the triple overpass near where the shooting occurred. The man was neatly dressed. He's in his early 20s. He is protesting vehemently his innocence, and he says that he has witnesses to prove that he is innocent. Two Roman Catholic priests have been summoned to the emergency room where the president is. A White House spokesman said someone had asked for the priest, but did not say whom. Blood transfusions have been administered to President Kennedy. Governor Connolly has been moved to the general operating room. Repeating, just moments ago, authorities have taken a young man into custody in Dallas, but there is no definite word that this is the person who might have fired the shots at President Kennedy and Governor Conley. Charles Murphy reporting from WBAP-TV, Fort Worth, Dallas. And if he had been foolish enough to, like he told us personally, if I had been foolish enough to sign that confession, I would still be in prison today. Yeah. Wow. And that wouldn't have bothered them in the least, which is what makes nope. you sick at your stomach. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the, the thing that strikes me as you read your book is the number of mysterious and untimely and young deaths of people that you've. Right. Right. Coincidental deaths that just people mm-hmm. just didn't survive much longer. 40 what year old men dying of heart attacks. You know. Yes, exactly. Well, and that, uh, that can happen. But now we right. discovered. But why did some of the deaths happen after they were asked to go before the House Select Committee? Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and then all you of a sudden. Before they actually testified? Before they could testify, they're shot because someone thought they were a deer. Or they fall off the ladder and they hit their head and they die. Or they have a heart attack. Or they're bound like Johnny Roselli in a drum you know, or Giacana shot where you, yeah, you open the door to someone you trusted and he put seven bullets in your mouth. Yeah. I mean, and those people never got the chance to go testify. So it was a very convenient time for them to pass away. Right. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's all at all levels. I remember there was a story of one of Kennedy's liaisons or ingenues who ended up being Yes. That's Mary Meyer. She died less than a year. She died right after the Warren report came out in September, October of 64. But who goes find somebody jogging on a morning jog and guns them down like that? That's just. Well, and execution style. She was shot in the back of the head. Right. Mm -hmm. That wasn't an assault. That wasn't a predatory assault. That wasn't anything other than a hit. You know, that was just a. Well, and guess who they found rifling through her possessions in her house later on? The CIA agent, James Jesus Angleton. Mm-hmm. And she if had anyone, a If anyone knew lots of informa- right. information, Angleton was one of them. Right. Yeah. 
Well, interesting. Well, getting back to Oswald and more canon for why it may not have been him, I saw a demonstration in a documentary one time where this this Kakano rifle, this Italian rifle, or the mouse, were they both bolt action rifles? Because that's what the sniper was using, you know, demonstrating you had to uh, eject the casing and, and cock it again. Mm-hmm. And the number of shots he got off is like, was it possible to get three shots off? Well, it depends on who was doing the reenactment. Right. And and Phil, you would be surprised how many gunmen will have come tell us, I could have made that shot with no problem. And, you know, nobody has ever said, you mean when you're shooting at the president of the United States, your heart's not going to be racing. You're going to be as calm as you can be. You're not going to have any problem shooting from a window that is so low. You have to kneel down, basically use it. Uh, But Lots of people really think it was a very easy shot to make. Well, and a, and a Marine sniper lies down or kneels mm-hmm. because it gives them a, a more of a like, OK, women standing are actually more stable as far as being pulled off their feet than men because we have a lower center of gravity True, because we have extra organs and stronger legs, whereas men have more muscle above the waist. Mm -hmm. So being down, crouching on their knees or lying down makes them more stable. And yet the the boxes boxes were piled up that he supposedly put the rifle on. Mm -hmm. But, But also if he were laying down, he wouldn't have had enough leg room to totally lay out because of all the boxes that had been moved in that area that day while they were redoing the floor. But when you look at the two rifles, the Mm -hmm. Mauser is a better rifle. The Carcano is a piece of junk. junk. Yeah. Yeah. And you couldn't get those three shots off and it was not sighted correctly. It he wouldn't have hit his target. No one could have hit the target with how that gun was sighted. And another problem is that people who were on that sixth floor shortly after the police and who who everyone started running up those stairs have Mm -hmm. described that things were moved, including the shells from the gun. Boxes were rearranged. We really have no idea what that looked like when someone was spotted up there. We do know that one of the main witnesses that the prosecution used was Howard Brennan. Some people have really just taken his story apart. But I I wouldn't doubt that he probably did see two people up there. He said he saw two people. Well, one person is one too many. They didn't want to hear that. But nevertheless, someone very well probably was walking around up there. We know that one of the workers from the depository, Bonnie Ray Williams, said he sat there and ate lunch because later they tried to say, and this was written in one of the first books, they tried to say that Oswald sat there and ate chicken and drank Dr. Pepper and calmly waited for the president to come into his view. That was not Oswald at all. That was Bonnie Ray Williams. And then he went downstairs to the fifth floor and he joined the men that were looking out the windows. Mm-hmm. But... That was that was considered evidence at first. And the timeline from when he left to an assassin to be able to get in there to the sixth floor, 
just, there's not a lot of time. And then for an assassin to get downstairs on stairs that creaked without anyone hearing him and nobody coming out into the stairwell to go down also because of what they've just witnessed. No one seeing him. He's already on the second floor drinking a Coke. Timelines don't match. And yet, would there have been a reason? Especially if you've been there and you've reenacted it yourself mm-hmm. to see if it could match. But but would there would there have been a good reason for someone to stick a rifle barrel out of that window and make sure people down below saw it? No. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you're trying to throw off. Exactly. Right. Yes. If, if you're trying to set someone up, you would have to do that. And they didn't shoot. Probably not. Because we have our theory of where shots were fired from. And it's not the book depository and certainly not the sixth floor. So they could have stuck it out so witnesses might see it and then put it back in whatever area they wanted it to be found. So logic tells you that if they were trying to draw attention to the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository, the shots would be somewhere else. This is an NBC News bulletin. We take you now to Robert McNeil, NBC News in Dallas, Texas. Several shots were fired today as President Kennedy's motorcade passed through downtown Dallas. Dallas. A police officer at the scene said he believed the president had been wounded and has been taken to hospital. People screamed and lay down in the grass as the shots were heard as the motorcade went by. Police immediately fanned out over a wide area. A small Negro boy and a white man said they had seen a man with a gun in the window of a building overlooking the route. This is Robert McNeil, NBC News in Dallas, Texas. This has been a Hotline Special Report. Stay tuned to your NBC station for other Hotline Reports and for the late developments on the NBC News on the Hour. Yeah. Well... Whoever did it, the limousine mysteriously, when the first shot happened, the driver, Bill Greer of the, of the limousine, tapped his brakes twice or slowed down to actually resulted, whether it was involuntary or not, he was trained to speed off at the first sign of trouble of any kind, but he slowed down, which actually might have served only to supplement the efforts of the killer. Yeah. I guess you never know what you're going to do until the moment of crisis comes up. But I mean, it all speaks, you know, if you were to assume that he's part of a, some sort of conspiracy and somebody else is pulling the strings, you can see the intricacy of the plot. Especially the- because Kennedy's original driver died. About three weeks. About him. three weeks beforehand. Wow. Oh, heart attack. Heart attack yeah. A heart attack. So here we have a new <laughs> driver. What do we know? Of, oh, sorry. Go ahead. For the Texas trip. What do we know about that particular? I mean, did he have a heart disease? There was very little said about it. In fact, people, researchers had to dig and dig and dig to find out this man even existed. He was fairly young. He wouldn't have been on active duty with the Secret Service if he had had any health issues. That makes sense. 
So right. yes, yeah. do people drop dead with heart attacks? Yes, they do. But once again, very convenient, wasn't it? That this inexperienced yeah. driver with very little training as a driver was put in that position. Right. Just right. another uncanny, bizarre. Strange oh. thing. Yes. Yeah. Oddity. 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 And okay, over, you know, the grassy knoll has gained a tremendous amount of popularity <laughs> yes yeah. and some of the things supporting the grassy knoll theory that there was a shooter who targeted kennedy from the grassy knoll behind some bushes there was a pool of blood that a reporter noticed near the, yes. the grassy yes. and he took note of it i guess and i guess when he went back to check on it afterwards it had been cleaned up yes what that might have happened there? jerry coley yeah, he yeah, he talked to us about that. And like he said, if that blood had stayed on there for two or three days, nobody cared about it. How often are you gonna clean up what possibly you were gonna pretend to be was soda pop or something? He said if it had not disappeared so quickly, we might not have thought that much about it. But right. The fact that someone had to use something as strong as bleach to get that off. And he said, and yet I and this friend that I worked with saw it. We took photos of it. Of course, where are those photos? They're with the FBI. Never mm-hmm. been seen again. So it does make you wonder who was bleeding up on that sidewall. Right. And why? How were they? Yeah. You know, was it someone, if there was a crossfire, did someone accidentally hit a bystander yeah. who either mm-hmm. died or was in on this and wasn't going to admit he'd been shot to begin with. Right. That is one of the strangest. But if we didn't, if we hadn't talked to the man that saw this, we might've said, Oh, this is just exaggeration. But Jerry Coley knew what he saw. Mm -hmm. And in the, in the very beginning, when you look at reports coming through, they believed a secret service agent was killed in Dealey Plaza that day. Could mm-hmm. that have been the person who left the pool of blood? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I always thought that the man with the umbrella. Yes. That, that you see in the Sapruder film. Mm-hmm. That's out in front of the grassy knoll, right? I mean. Yes. That, on the sidewalk. Well, literally on the curb. Yeah. That could have been someone trying to mark a spot or, you know, if you ever turn a football to a receiver, trying to line up a trajectory of where the, a, a shooter may have to I don't know, something like that. But, right. so, you know, I wonder how close was it? I mean, was that like a uh, hundred feet from the grass? No, or was it just like a sidewalk and a couple, you know, how close? Was uh, I'm trying to think. Y'all have never been to the Dealey Plaza? No. No. Sometimes no. it's worth the uh, trip because the entire area is much smaller than it appears to be. Would in. it be 50 feet? Maybe 50 to 100 at the 50, most. Yeah. Yeah. But he was kind now, of the, the only question that that man has been ad- identified supposedly as a man named Lewis Witt, who explained, if you can buy this, that he was trying to goad Kennedy, that the umbrella would have been a uh, symbol of Neville Chamberlain, who was an appeaser, just like Joseph Kennedy Jr. was. I mean, that, none of that makes too much sense. But mm-hmm. there was a man seated next to him that we have found out was there to make sure this guy with the umbrella wasn't going to do anything stupid like run out and jump on the car or something like that. He he deliberately placed himself there 
to act as somebody who was going to interfere if that man did try to harm the president. Just because it was so bizarre that he had a... Yes, exactly. He drew attention to himself. Now, think about that. People who are professionals don't draw attention to themselves. No. Right. At least they try not to. Right. In fact, the whole point of being there as possibly someone who's trying to abort this would be to blend in with everyone else so that no one notices. Right. Yeah. So I guess the, the the final or the not the final, because there was actually and I, I don't know how serious this was taken, but there was one theory that a like a small time hood name uh, was it McGann, McGann? George McGann. Yes. George McGann actually crawled through the sewage system and lifted a sewer lid and it fired the fateful shot from the street like that. Well, that was a story that we got to know about this because we live about 30 miles from where McGann lived at the time mm-hmm. in West Texas. And his friends were more than willing to talk about this guy that was connected to the Dixie Mafia. Whether they got the story confused, we just had to record what they had told us or whether McGann exaggerated his role, we really don't know. We do know everyone who knew him said George would have killed anyone for money. Mm -hmm. Money meant that much to him. And they said he did kill people. We have no doubt that he killed people. And so when Mm -hmm. we said, you mean he would have killed the President of the United States? And they just nodded their head. Yeah, he would have. And supposedly his payoff was $50,000. Wow. That's cheap for the president. Well, not in 1963, wasn't that cheap? Well, no. Jim Mars, who was an excellent researcher, did go down and see if it would be possible to get a shot from that area. And he believed you could. Mm -hmm. And other researchers have gone down there and believed the shot and then they figured out and they got from the city the way for them to escape that there was a way for them to escape and then get all the way out of you know the downtown area onto the trinity riverbed and it's also possible that mcgann was one of two people standing behind that picket fence his job was to dismantle the weapon, go mm-hmm. down through the sewer, and simply disappear. Stay mm-hmm. there as long as he needed to till he could get out. And the other person drives the vehicle away, and there's nobody there to even question. Right. And again, McGann dies fairly young, violently, I guess, right? Oh, yes. Yes. He died in September of 71. So not that many years after the assassination. And he didn't talk about this until literally a few weeks before he was killed. Hmm. But, you know, someone who engaged in an activity that might have uh, got him killed in a number of reasons. Well, you also have to wonder if there's no doubt that the CIA and the mafia and the military certainly would work together on uh, various projects. And, Would it hurt any of them if you had your professional killers ready to take out the president? And if there were some others who thought they were going to take out the president, who Mm -hmm. cared how many shots were being fired? They didn't care about collateral damage. 
They wanted to make mm. sure the president was killed. So in some ways, if you got people who you knew were not really competent enough to, one thing, George McGahn wore glasses so thick that I wouldn't trust him to be an assassin mm-hmm. because if he really? lost his glasses, he wasn't going to be able to see anything. But yeah. who cared if people thought they had made the headshot as long as it doesn't come back to the real people who did. And another thing about George, he never talked about it except for to three of his friends at the very end of his life. Now, he was married to Beverly Oliver, the Babuska lady who was there that day. And one day she did talk about it in front of George and some of George's Dixie Mafia friends. And he was furious and took her and told her if she ever did anything like that ever again, talk about the Kennedy assassination. He would kill her himself. He would kill her himself. Hmm. So So there was something he was hiding, no doubt. Switch now for a direct report to Robert McNeil, NBC News, Dallas. President Kennedy was shot at today by a gunman from a building along the route as he drove through downtown Dallas. He has been rushed to hospital bleeding. Uh, Texas Senator Ralph Yarborough says the president is seriously wounded. Mrs. Kennedy, who was sitting beside him in the open car, was not hurt, but the governor of Texas, John Connolly, was also reported wounded. As the shots rang out, three shots as the motorcade went by, people screamed and lay down on the grass. Police immediately fanned out over a wide area. They found several witnesses, including a small boy, who said he saw a man in the window of a building overlooking the parade route with a gun in his hand. The President Kennedy is now in the Parkland Memorial Hospital. An accurate estimate of his condition has not been given. Congressman Yarborough of Texas says only that the President is seriously wounded. This is Robert McNeil, NBC News at the Parkland Memorial Hospital in Dallas, Texas. Well, I guess the final, right. most popular vantage point was one that I only found out about. I heard a, I saw a multi-part British documentary about the JFK assassination several years ago. Where the Nigel introduced- Turner? Was it Nigel Turner's? The man who it, killed Kennedy? Yes, I think it may have been. Okay, yeah. And it presented the idea of the gunman shooting from the underpass. It was somewhat in the distance of the motorcade. And your book seems to suggest that if there was some sort of, and and correct me if I'm wrong, if there was some sort of Cuban or Castro connection that these um, culprits may, may have been involved with them. So are you talking about when we mentioned that there very, very well was probably a shot from the south side of Dealey Plaza from the triple overpass? Yes. Okay. We were taken literally on a personal tour of that part of the triple overpass by someone who said that that is what happened. And so Mm -hmm. you should have seen us climbing up the, it's not that tall, but you have to climb up this incline and there's bushes and there's trees. And it's kind of like, you know, you feel like you're on this treasure hunt, but by the time you get up there and you get to a certain part of the triple underpass, which is angled, all of Mm -hmm. a sudden you realize you can, in fact, we tested it. You can stand there and nobody on the rest of the triple overpass can see you. 
and yet you had a perfect shot at the limousine as it came down Elm Street. And another thing is we talked to a gentleman who was on this intervention team that took us on field trip of the South Grassy Knoll. And he told us where they thought the shooter was up there on the triple underpass. So we had him stand there and we had met with another gentleman, Lieutenant Good, who was on the other side of the triple overpass. And so we walked down where Good said he was and we couldn't see this other person. So when Good talked to us separate, they don't know each other. Good had told us that he believed a shot was from the South Knoll and that when he and a U.S. Marshal Robert Nash went over there, they found spent casings and they pocketed them. They took them to the FBI. The FBI told them just, you know, keep them. We already have our evidence, but that is two separate board or intervention teams that did not know about each other that both believed a shot came from the South Knoll. And yet that's not one of the, how do you, where are you on the possibility that the government actually, that, that the conspirators, uh, assuming this is, you know, a bigger thing than, you know, where are you on the idea that they actually wanted all of the confusion? That they oh, actually encouraged these false ideas? Oh, I think they not only encouraged it, I think they planted some of those stories themselves. Okay, well, the blood, because unless they actually, I mean, where the blood and then having the blood cleaned up, very confusing. I mean, why would there be a bunch of blood? Well, think about what that, we just said. We don't yeah. know if anyone shooting from the south side actually hit Kennedy. There were right. two doctors who saw a small bullet wound in the left side of Kennedy's head, but only okay. two. No one else noticed that. However, what if you missed the entire limousine and you hit someone standing back on the grassy knoll? Wouldn't yeah. that be about where that pool of blood would be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And if that was someone who was there as a d- distractor, he mm-hmm. couldn't report he'd been shot because they don't want that many shots. And they sure right. don't want flying over from the south. Right. right. Well, so now, okay, so the president's been uh, shot. He's still alive. And they raced to Parkland Hospital, and this is where the cover-up level or phase of the conspiracy might you know, started to evolve. And we're just talking minutes after the actual shooting. So this coordinated effort. Whoever the book doesn't really let's let's get this get this out of the way out of the way. It doesn't in the end. It doesn't implicate anyone explicitly. You don't conclude anything, but well, which is great. It may implicate, but we're not mm-hmm. going to say we were there. We know this is what happened. Right. right. You know, it's based on what people told us. We have uh, compiled these stories. We're protecting them because so many of them have passed away. And that's going to be the last chance they had to tell their story. Uh, right. Some of them disagree with each other. We know yeah. that. Well, we, like- we give a lot of clues to how many people we think were involved. Mm -hmm. But we also want the reader 
to learn as we learn and use their critical thinking skills. We're both educators. And so this is an academic book, but we wrote it in such a fashion that it's very interesting because it's their stories. And so we left it open-ended. We did give a lot of clues, but we also want people to keep researching and use their skills and research Mm -hmm. techniques to draw conclusions. Because we know that each one of these people had a piece to the puzzle, Puzzle. but the puzzle still isn't complete. We still have people come up to us on book signings telling us things that we're jotting down frantically. We know we can't add them to the book at this point, but if there's an updated version <coughs> to it, we may. Yeah. Right. So that's one reason why we haven't come out and just said, all right, don't even consider arguing us. This is who did so-and-so. Right. And Katana and I, we work at a college together, and we decided to do our research different. We did not have a predetermined conclusion. We Mm -hmm. wanted primary sources to give us their story. And we wanted to collect their story and write it down so people could fill in other pieces of the puzzle. We Mm -hmm. didn't want to back ourselves into a corner. And say, oh, it was just this group. It was just this group. We believe there were a lot of players in all three of the events. Well, I didn't, yeah, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. I just thought of that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but, but what I like about it is the truth may very well be there, but it's up to the reader to excavate that. Exactly. Yeah. And really part of the whole mystique of this is that the people do enjoy the excavation of it. The the sheer bravado of this whole thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, and we want people to, to consider that right. there are still people out there with more pieces to the puzzle. Yeah. They may be the grandchildren of some of these people, but right. they know things they don't realize they even know. Yeah, they're just one generation removed, right? Yes, that's exactly right. But so are you doing okay on time? Oh, Uh, we're fine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because we're kind of slowly moving along to chronology here, but I want to talk about. He's got a lot of questions. How when JFK's (laughs) body was delivered to Parkland, the actual cover-up was already. In place. It seems to be in place. It seems to be happening. NBC News New York taking over from this time. There's considerable confusion as to exactly where these rifle shots came from. As we could tell from our report down in Dallas from our own staff man, it's not clear whether or not they came from a building or from an area close to the underpasses, a triple series, a triple group of underpasses, or whether it came from a building. Now, Senator Yarborough of Texas is giving us this kind of information. These are quotes. Uh, these are quotes from the senator just as the just right after the assassination occurred. You could tell, he said, that something awful and tragic had happened. He said, I could see a Secret Service man in the president's car leaning on the car with his hands in anger, anguish, and despair. I knew something tragic had happened. Yarborough had counted three rifle shots. Others have said there were two. As the presidential limousine left downtown Dallas through a triple underpass. The shots were fired from above. Now that we are sure of. 
possibly from one of the bridges or from a nearby building. That's the senator's view. But another witness, television reporter, said he saw a gun emerge from an upper story of a warehouse commanding an unobstructed view of the presidential car. We've already had fleeting references to this warehouse building and a gun emerging from a window. I believe that it was in place when, when the events of the day started. There was cover Before they changed the route. Yes, starting with the route. Well, probably when they made the decision to come to Texas. Yes, that's when cover-up started. But you have to remember, there was an attempt on Kennedy's life two weeks before in Chicago that mm-hmm. was aborted, and there was a, a possible attempt in Tampa a week before. So if they hadn't gotten him in Texas, they were going to get him somewhere. Yeah, but things happened with, you know, when the president finally passed away. There were some some mysterious things that people from Parkland saw. For instance, they saw two coffins. That was uh, at Bethesda. Bethesda. The Bethesda. Okay. Washington. Yeah, for the autopsy. I'm getting my mm. stories mixed up here. But, One of the autopsies. But they they also they found a bullet on the president's gurney that was and not. That was in Dallas. That was in Dallas. Yes. Okay. So talk a little bit about what some of the clinical people at the hospital saw. That, that didn't make any sense, didn't add up. Well, I mean, they described what we, what anyone looking at the Zapruder film, I think would agree with, that there was a huge blown out area at the back part of this and that, you know, brain matter and blood was everywhere. I'm not sure all of them saw anything on the left-hand side, but mm-hmm. there wasn't any doubt there was a throat wound Mm-hmm. And they couldn't, they didn't get a chance to explore that to see where that bullet might have gone. But there was a huge wound in the back of his head that when one of the doctors came in, he didn't realize Jackie Kennedy was in there. And he said, basically, what are you even doing with this man? He's dead. His brains are on the floor. Mm-hmm. And of course, everyone looked horrified because here was Mrs. Kennedy. But he was right. They were going through the motions of doing anything they could just because this was the president of the United States. He had had a (laughs) fatal head wound and a large part of his brain was gone. And the first few doctors saw the small entrance in the throat as an entrance wound. But then it was changed because they Mm -hmm. needed that to be an exit wound to go with this pre-planned story they had already set in motion. And when they had an argument over doing the autopsy at Dallas, that should have been everybody's first clue. If this had been an above board, we don't know what happened. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Dr. Earl Rose would have been the person to do that autopsy and everybody would have known the actual true results. But the Secret Service insisted that body be moved. And it needed to be moved to a military hospital. So there was control where everybody involved had to sign a confidentiality agreement and not talk about it. And originally, we don't think the body was supposed to go to Bethesda. Jackie Kennedy made that decision because the president had been in the Navy. Walter Mm -hmm. Reed would have been the logical place. And that's probably where they were actually set up to do a very quick autopsy to get rid of bullets that they needed to get rid of, to change bullet wounds if they need to, to do whatever it takes to make this look like someone shot from behind and only from behind. 
Okay. Now, and, and I have a question there, and it, it speaks to a short story I wrote once, but we won't, you know, is it, is there any thought that she was complicit, involved? I mean, obviously, she had to be a little bit conflicted about her marriage. Or if not involved, at least uh, aware, a, a part maybe, of the story, or, the backstory right. for why they assassinated Or even just people. after the fact. Well, we don't have, we never found any evidence right. to that. Mm-hmm. Now, it, you can look on the internet and you will find pictures where people claim that Jackie turned around and shot him herself. Mm-hmm. Then you'll find the ones where the driver supposedly turns around and shoots him. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you would do that right in front of all those people. Right. Uh, right. Sure I, you think, would. I think, uh, yes, Jackie Kennedy and, and John Kennedy were having major problems, although things had supposedly gotten better after they'd lost that baby. He was still having affairs. I think she may have reconciled herself to the fact that if she was going to stay married to the president and eventually a former president, she was going Mm -hmm. to have to put up with that. She had had a few affairs herself. Oh, I did not know that. Well, you'll have to look into that. But uh, in the meantime... I, this That's almost destroyed her. She almost had a nervous mm-hmm. breakdown after this. So I, I don't think she ever thought something like this would happen to him. Mm. Well, it's like unlikely she'd ever seen something so traumatic in her oh, life. And especially who had? Yeah. she's wearing her husband's brain matter. Yeah, oh, yes, terrible. yes. Terrible. Yeah. Even as grainy and, and had- old as it is, the Zapruder film is just... It's it's brutal. brutal. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And imagine if you were in there with that shock happened. on her face. Yeah. And and she was not known for when to show emotion. Exactly. Right. In fact, she controlled herself better than most people would, I think. Right, right. right. I that that yeah. But I, I will point out that you did mention in the book that Aristotle Onassis, and it was probably less than a paragraph, he you know, he, even at this point, he was in love with Jackie and didn't appreciate the way Jack treated her or President Kennedy treated her. And, you know, some people do believe maybe he had something to do with it. The and, and Once again, uh, keep in mind, is it purely coincidence that as soon as it was an acceptable period of mourning that Aristotle started courting her? Mm-hmm. Well, and... and- I've seen things to the effect that that he's paid a bride price. So in a a sense, I've seen things to the idea that the Kennedys basically sold her to Onassis. Not that she wasn't willing to go. See, I I don't think so. so. The Kennedy family was embarrassed that she married him. They had never liked Onassis. And he arrived the day after the assassination and to the White House, and Bobby was furious that he was there. But now, once again, that's a question. Why would Onassis have felt like he would be welcomed at the White, White House, House. Yes. when he had it yeah. been embarrassing that, that Jackie had gone on this cruise with him? That had mm-hmm. caused a lot of comments by the media, and yet here he was. But you'll notice there are pictures of him. Only the people who were there realized that Onassis was upstairs with the rest of the mourners after the funeral. Well, and, and there is one other thing that I've I've seen pictures of Bobby in, you know, in like, I think that Bobby Kennedy might have had a bit of a thing for her. Oh, for Jackie. <laughs> I think he did too. You need to read the book, Bobby oh, and oh, yeah. Jackie. Oh, okay. 
Then read the book, know, Bobby I came and up Kathy. With this all on my own. <laughs> and the so, way they hey. look at each other as she's leaving. Yeah, there is a, a photo that got house. published everywhere where he and Ethel had gone to visit her. Literally, I mean, weeks after the assassination. Ethel uh-huh. is walking away. Bobby is turning back, looking at her, and she is giving him this little, if butter wouldn't melt in my mouth, smile. Mm -hmm. That if nothing Uh else, you're right. A picture's worth a thousand words. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Two o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. Vice President Lyndon Johnson has left the hospital in uh, Dallas, but we do not know uh, to where he has proceeded. Uh, Presumably, he will be taking the oath of office shortly and become uh, the 36th President of the United States. Right. Yep. Well, I mean, that's all all very... The rich are different. Yeah. You, you can imagine, and, you can and, just imagine that as part of some kind of romantic uh, novel or something. And and back then, men could cheat. Yes, yeah. But women could not. That's true. Well, they weren't supposed to get caught, at least, and they sure weren't right, supposed right. to publicize it. But, right. Okay, so before we get to the Warren Commission, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we need to talk about Jack Ruby because he is the assassin's assassin. And Jack Ruby was in the Carousel Club in Dallas, which was a very successful business. He loved to hobnob with celebrities and politicians that would pass through town. He was, you know, he had some very famous burlesque artists in his club, like Candy Bar, Tammy True, and Rose Shamari, who, who comes up a little bit. Uh, All right. later. Candy Bar actually did not dance in his Carousel Club. She knew Ruby and she would go to his other club, the Vegas club and not dance as performing. She actually liked to dance with guys, uh, but she never did perform at his carousel club. Now, Phil, these women were not well known except in the Dallas area at the time. Their names have become well known since then because of Kennedy's death, but Mm -hmm. most people wouldn't have bragged that they danced in the carousel club. Right. Okay, so they, they yep. by word of mouth, they might have been famous among the... Yes, by word of mouth through certain people, yes. Like, people probably knew Rose Jeremy and Jada from the New Orleans area and the Dallas area. Those but are back then, going to that kind of club wasn't exactly prestige. Exactly. Now, these women may have thought they were well-known, and they were in certain crowds, you're right. <laughs> But it mm-hmm. wasn't somebody you would have put on the front page of the Dallas News and said, Jada performs tonight at the Carousel Club. <laughs> yeah, I see yeah. your point. But nonetheless, and people hate that word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Ruby enjoyed attention. He enjoyed the concept that he was an important businessman in Dallas. You know, he had kind of some shady associates and everything, but he kind of had a nice life going, right? So why would a sane person who has all this going for him, despite his passion for President Kennedy and his um, com- compassion for his assassination and his, and his kids and people left mm-hmm. behind, why in the world would he take it upon himself to use bogus press passes to get into the basement of the Dallas police station and kill 
the culprit, knowing that that's going to be the effective end of his life as well. Well, well, tell me what Bernie Simber told us. Well, Ruby, you don't know. We, no one knows all the different facets of Ruby. He was a gun rudder. How, how did he get, he was mob related. We don't know what he did for the mob and what he asked the mob to do for him. And when it, right. And if the mob has done something for you and they come calling because they want you to pay up now, their Mm -hmm. pay up could have been killing off Oswald and you don't say no. There is Leon. been shot. He's been shot. Lee Oswald has been shot. There's a man with a gun. Absolute panic. Absolute panic here in the basement of Dallas Police Headquarters. Detectives have their guns drawn. There is no question about it. Oswald has been shot at point blank range, fired into his stomach. He is shot. He is shot. Oswald. It is Oswald. You are Oswald. Was that the man that shot the man, or do you know? That is the man that shot the man. Right. Um, Because that could be your family. Ruby was more than just this owner of this carousel club. Now, is there any thought of, of like, mental illness on his behalf? I think that was going to be one of the defenses they considered using, and if they had used it, I think he would have gotten off. If he had stayed with a Dallas attorney like Tom Howard, they would have pleaded mental insanity, temporary insanity. He would have gotten a slap on the wrist and gone home. Mm -hmm. But Kind of like Hinkley. But the mob made sure that his his attorney was the mob-connected attorney, Melvin Belli. And Belli made sure he was found guilty. Mm-hmm. Very charismatic lawyer. I remember seeing him in news programs and things. Well, he was he defended lots of mob people, including Mickey Cohen. And you'll notice what was the result? Well, Jack mm-hmm. Ruby was sent to the lecture or was supposed to be if he hadn't gotten an appeal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he was quite surprised, wasn't he? I mean, he thought he would be adored. He thought he would be uh, a you know, celebrity himself now. Yes, because- he yeah. did. We we found copies of telegrams that people had sent him. They bragged on him for this. But later, the longer the trial went on, the more he realized, I'm not going to even be able to sit up there and tell my version of what happened. I think right. he realized things were going south pretty quickly. And right. then we met a gentleman who told us that on the day of the transfer, his stepfather sat them down in front of a TV and at the time of the transfer, he said to them, this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. And he was referring to this is how you take someone out. Mm-hmm. When we were in Las Vegas, we I managed to reach out. We were at a conference and I contacted a man named Bernie Sindler, who was very close to the mobster Meyer Lansky. And when I said, do you know anything about Jack Ruby? And he said, well, yeah, you know, he was part of the mob. And I said, well, do you know why he killed Oswald? And he said, because he was told to kill Oswald. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, definitely Mm -hmm. restaurant, bar, club owners were definitely uh, fair. Vending machine owners. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And ball machine owners. All of those were owned by the mob. Yeah. Yeah. So 
if anybody's looking for a connection back to, you know, the puppet master of this whole thing might look at someone like Iris Campbell, because she was a political insider who worked for LBJ's aide, Cliff Carter, but was very loyal to LBJ. And there are, there is photographic evidence that she also knew Jack Ruby or kept company with Jack Ruby. So when you were watching the Nigel Turner film, did you see her in that episode? He was in his club and she was sitting there. I would be lying to say that I remember that because it's okay. probably been five years since I saw that. And, and Iris has not been like tossed, uh, you know, at she the hasn't forefront been, of things that yeah. I've read. But in well, your she's book, one of the people that nobody ever heard of. But right. we, I happen to know her really well. She was a customer of mine when I owned an antique shop. And she mm. just gradually began to tell us things about how she was connected to Johnson and to Cliff Carter. Now, you mm. called her a puppet master. I would say she was more of a puppet. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no. I was I was saying LBJ. If you, oh, if yeah. you were Iris was one of the people that, like many, many people, that LBJ used and used and used. And when it came time for him to help her, did he do so? No. no. Yeah. Just my like dad, he didn't help Bobby Baker or Billy Solestis or any of the others. My dad was a funny guy. <laughs> he loved to crack jokes and stuff like that. But he had, he really, when you talk about LBJ and the assassination of Kennedy, it's one of the few times he would be serious. He would tell you that L, he was absolutely certain LBJ. So for whatever it's worth. um, What was he basing that on, Phil? Well, the fact that it took place in Texas and. LBJ was Texas. LBJ was a very, a very ambitious politician and very kind of a ruthless politician and just speculation, I'm sure, but based on his impressions of the man. Well, one of our friends is author Phil Nelson, and he's who wrote uh, two books on this, one called uh, LBJ, The Mastermind of the Assassination, and the other one from Mastermind to Colossus. And he feels Mm -hmm. exactly the way your father does, that it is all LBJ. But Mm -hmm. LBJ certainly could have covered it up. I'm not, and he certainly could have found money. I'm not sure he could have planned it as meticulously as it would have needed to be. Well, no, he would have needed to be the puppet master in this situation and get, you know, the, the powers that, yeah, I mean, but it's, It's and maybe that's what he meant by puppet master as opposed to actually planning every single little bit. He had to get somebody else on his side. Mastermind. Right. Right. Mastermind. (laughs) Now, one reason people have doubted this and there are some that I'm already exactly will swear this is this is exactly the way it happened. There are others who'll say Robert Kennedy had access to every investigator in the country if he had wanted to use them. And supposedly he did do his own investigating about this. Right. Would he have wanted, and it, it's obvious from his staff members, that he would have served as vice president under Johnson? Would he have done that if he had thought Johnson had had his brother killed? Hmm. That's an interesting point. Or some people might say, well, okay, well maybe you want to inherit the throne, you know. I'm going to say this. A, there is that. Okay, there's ambition, personal ambition on his part. But B, what's the best place to look into something from if you're going to try to quietly look into it? 
Well, I think as attorney general, he probably had access to any investigative forces that he needed. But yeah, but some people president. would argue that as vice president, what if he made sure LBJ died? Right. Well, isn't it mysterious that a man of so ambitious did not seek a second term or did not seek re- re-election? Well, apparently he was, I mean, I remember how unpopular he was because of the Vietnam War. I think, yeah. I don't really think he would have gotten re-elected and he either. wasn't going to yeah. let that happen to his ego. And he wasn't going to let Bobby Kennedy win the Democratic right. nomination. Could you imagine? I mean, one of the most <laughs> oh telling things he ever did was Eugene McCarthy, who was the main forerunner, who might have beaten Bobby Kennedy for the Democratic nomination, we're not sure, was sitting with Johnson in Johnson's White House office. And they were discussing how Bobby Kennedy was doing. Was he going to have a chance to take this away from Eugene McCarthy? Mm-hmm. Lyndon Johnson, had, just like Kennedy, had a taping system in his office. People Mm -hmm. didn't know that, but they were being taped every time they talked to him. So instead Mm -hmm. of answering McCarthy, when McCarthy said, what do you think's going to happen to to Bobby? How's he going to do? Lyndon Johnson took his forefinger and raped it across his throat without saying a word. This is a time of tragedy and loss. Senator Robert Kennedy is dead. Robert Kennedy affirmed this country affirm the essential decency of its people, their longing for peace, their great desire to improve conditions of life for all. During his life, he knew far more than his share of personal tragedy. Yeah, it was like if he took out Jack, he probably took out Bobby, too. Well, he sure didn't want him to become president, I can tell you that. So, so we're to the cover-up now. We're deeply steeped into the cover-up. And if we're talking about the cover-up, we're talking about the Warren report. And we're talking about Gerald Ford, pres- future president Gerald Ford, Arlen Specter, and the the tunnel vision, the rigid conclusion almost from page one that Oswald was a single assassin who, who acted alone. And the, the all the stuff around Oswald is almost an entirely different topic. I mean, you can go into the fact that he was a Cuban sympathizer, Castro sympathizer that handed out pamphlets as part of a street team and that he was a communist who went to Russia and, you know, there's biometric conflicts. He almost set himself up. The size of the man that that left here and the one that came back, you know, is Oswald, did he survive another 50 years as a Russian citizen or something? Also, there are people that testify that there were multiple Oswald doppelgangers that were seen outside the Texas theater where he took refuge after the assassination and where officer Tippett was shot, which was actually something, you know, Oswald wasn't going to probably escape punishment for that. if nothing else, but. Right. uh, But who, which Oswald are we talking about? There was an Oswald that was in Russia while another Oswald was in new Orleans, then starting about, 
a year to a year and a half before the assassination, there were at least two Oswalds in the New Orleans to the Texas area, to Mexico, to Canada. And when we talked to Lieutenant Good, who was on that intervention team that day with the U.S. Marshal, we asked him about Oswald and he looked us directly and said, which Oswald are you talking about? Oh, we asked him if he thought we, if he thought Oswald shot from the sixth floor and he looked at us and said, which Oswald are you talking about? I knew them both and I didn't like either of them. So uh, are these supposed to be like the same person, Oswald? Some kind of yes, they're using the same they're, name. They look alike to a certain extent. And then there's the picture of the one that was down in Mexico who looks nothing like the Oswald that got arrested. But there was one that looked enough like him that when people saw Oswald on television that day, they mm-hmm. said that's the man I knew. Right. And yet, it couldn't have been because they were in two different places at the same time. But when when these releases from the government, from their archives, uh, and hopefully there'll be another release this month. But when you go through those things, you find that, oh, there's an FBI number for Oswald. Oh, there's an intelligence number for Oswald. Oswald was this patriot. Oswald knew Robert Kennedy. And then you have the this other Oswald that was supposedly so much of a communist, so much of a Castro lover. So which which one are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Right. And some of the things that he said immediately, immediately upon being arrested were so strange. People pick it apart now. Like he said, I am just a patsy. But I mean, so without prompting, why would he even start? to say that. I'd like some legal representation. These police officers have not allowed me to, to have any. I, uh, I don't know what this is all about. Kill the president. I work in that building. Were you in the building at the time? Naturally, if I work in that building, yes, sir. Back up, man. No, they're taking me in because of the fact that I live in Missouri. I'm just a patsy. Because probably he's in intelligence and he knows he's being set up. Yeah. And when they did a voice analysis of that, they found that he wasn't lying when he said that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Warren report just continued to beat the beat on the the concept that you know he was the lone assassin and even I, I think I remember that Gerald Ford went in and amended some of the terminology he used about a key detail. Well yeah. General I mean Gerald Ford changed the bullet hole in the back of Kennedy so it looks like it then came out the throat wound and then went into uh, Conley and Arlen Specter came up with the magic bullet theory. And mm-hmm. then Gerald Ford came back years later and said, oops, I'm the one who changed that wound. And it's like, why were you guys making changes 
instead of using actual evidence if it is just a lone nut right from behind in a sixth floor book depository building right yeah and yet he was rewarded for that he got to be vice president and then he got to be president Hmm. yeah you know the irony of chevy chase's impression of gerald ford being kind of a bumbling (laughs) stumbling fool kind of of plays into that although you know i think he was he was a good man but for the most part right but but you have to wonder why would you anybody else would go to prison for falsifying the document that's what he's doing is falsifying that autopsy exactly that it would look like a bullet entered kennedy's neck and exited his throat if it wasn't if it was a lone gunman, why were so many things changed? Like right. the original autopsy report that James Jenkins filled out, that was changed. Why did Ford mm-hmm. change this to go with Arlen Specter's magic bullet? Right. Why, if you're, and it reminds me of other things in government, let us know everybody exactly what is going on and don't try and hide things because once you hide and manipulate information and evidence how do we know that other pieces haven't been manipulated and changed yeah we're going to assume they were yes and that's why people will just say i do not trust the government yeah right um, I don't believe, you know, half, at least 50% of what I hear just on a basic, you know, I mean, you know, in, if the government says it, but, but I think that's one reason why we still mm-hmm. don't have all the documents released. And even the ones we're going to get are going to be so redacted that we won't be able to yeah. read 90% of them. The well, I remember is, 2017 when they released uh, a lot of documents, I forget how many pages of documents it was. And I was so, so excited and, and wanted to thought that maybe something actually would break. <laughs> yeah, and it was so disappointing. Well, the right, first but, interesting thing, but that, that in those, there was a lot of redaction, but that's where that CIA number came for Oswald. That's where that FBI number came. So we knew one of the Oswalds worked for the government or government intelligence. And that's where also the report from England came that they knew ahead of time that something big was about to happen in the United States. That tells you there was foreknowledge about this happening. Mm-hmm. Right. So well, now we're waiting for October 26th, and hopefully Biden has a letter signed by many to finally let out the rest of the documents. But but the problem is, as if you were sitting on the government side of the, the table, if you ever admit that you covered up something as important as the death of a president, Will anyone ever believe you for the rest of the time that the government exists? Probably not. So I anticipate more and more coverage. Yeah. Everybody, you know, people it kind of sits there and simmers. I think people have it in the back of their mind. There, there is some fatigue of the conspiracy fatigue, I think. You know, Oliver Stone didn't do, I don't think he did a, a real good job of, of, of 
dissuading that. I think he pointed it pointed the whole thing at the military military industrial complex and and you know he kind of he kind of propped up Jim Garrison as a you know man of integrity where he really had some flaws and but I think it's this is something that in an unguarded moment you're always you're always wanting something to break something you want to find out something that puts it all together because it it, it was just such a, a horrible event in the history of our country and well, if nothing else, at least the movie JFK reinvigorated uh, the idea of the Kennedy assassination being investigated further than it was, and at least made people stop and think, hey, there was something rotten in the state of Texas, but there was also something rotten in Washington, D.C. And I believe it was a turning point in our history, turning point of being naive and not being naive. It seemed to be the whole 60s. Yeah, yeah, like that for us. Yeah. yeah. The innocence of the country was kind of. Uh, yes. So, yeah. yes. Well, and, and to me, that speaks to a question that I have about like the press situation. Whereas back then, the press would somewhat look the other way when it came to trans- transgressions. Yes, they did. Right. Whereas today, Kennedy would have been called out every other day. We got, you know, John Hart, right. you know, and that's not even today. That's an excellent. He point. would have been called out. <laughs> oh, big Probably time. twice or three times a day. Right, because... right. <laughs> but yeah, at the yeah. same time, you'll mm-hmm. notice that books that talk about their, the Warren Report not being as in-depth or as accurate as it should be do not receive the media attention that a book like Case Closed by Gerald Poshner does. Any book that supports the Warren Commission gets rave reviews by the mainstream media and gets publicized. Other books do not. Hmm. That's it's a fascinating topic. I have one last question here, and it's kind of a, I don't know if you can really attach the word fun to any of this, but it, <laughs> it's kind of a, a pop culture angle. Uh, the death of Marilyn Monroe. We've all, you know, remember the scene from The Godfather where the producer wakes up with the horse head? Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Was Marilyn Kennedy's horse head? <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Mm-hmm. Listen, there are lots of people who do not believe the official version of Marilyn's death any more than they believe the Warren report. Well, and, and I've always kind of, I jokingly, when I knew that Philip was into the whole Kennedy thing in Maryland and the and and he was into unexplained deaths and all that, early in our marriage, I started talking about how I always thought Marilyn was in on or that Jackie Jackie Kennedy was in on Marilyn's death, just as a kind of a little bit of a joke. So I did write a story based on that that Jackie actually killed Marilyn. So and the Secret Service covered it up. Yeah. But I don't. Her. I don't believe Jackie did. I believe. Oh, no, no. I don't really were, believe that. Right. I just like to mess with. It's them. just kind of a film noir thing. There, it's kind yeah. of theory of history, and it's like it's kind right. of interesting. It's it's fascinating, and it, it feels like it was so far <laughs> away, and yet it was so close. I think maybe the same. Some of the same players that mm-hmm. killed John also killed Marilyn. But do you think it was more she was an embarrassment or do you think it was more of a a warning like like you know like Philip suggesting the 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 
the horse head in the bed. Well, now think about this. Mm -hmm. After Marilyn's death, we know there were so many young starlets and and movie stars that had affairs with Kennedy. Did any Mm -hmm. of them ever threaten to go public after that? Oh, no. Well, did Marilyn threaten to go public? Yes, yes. Uh, well, you know, and, and it's the, the, the thing where she sang at his birthday party, that was part of. That was a spectacle. Yeah. And that <laughs> yes, was an embarrassment. Yeah. Yeah. But she wasn't just going to go public about her affair. She mm-hmm. was going to go public about pillow talk information. Things that she should never have been privy to. Right. Mm-hmm. Things that literally could have gotten him impeached because they were confidential national security items. Yeah. Ah. Like RFK tried to, you know, this is what I've seen. You know, RFK tried to mitigate it by going to her house that night and, you know, talking to her. And she was inconsolable. And she was just, you know, very Don't much. Do you think he was it. having an affair with her also? Yeah, I, you know, knowing these guys, yeah, I think that's quite possible. I think they passed her around. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and, right. and there were others. One thing we learned from Iris mm-hmm. Campbell, she knew lots of important political figures, and they told her things they shouldn't have, and they took her to secret military bases she shouldn't have never been allowed on. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, we were sitting there saying, you know, maybe Marilyn did hear all these things. If Iris yeah. did, Marilyn would have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And would and the reason you have to consider there were so many people who might have wanted to shut Marilyn up is if the Kennedys went down, so did the Democratic Party at least for the next few years. Yeah. So the Democratic Party didn't want Marilyn mouthing off about this either, whether they liked Kennedy or not. Mm-hmm. Right. That yeah. makes sense. Their whole uh, structure was being uh, jeopardized. Exactly. The whole party was at risk at this at this point. Yeah. Well, this has been fascinating. We've been talking about the Kennedy assassination with Sarah Peterson and okay. Tana Zachary. The name of the book is The Lone Star Speaks, Untold Stories of the JFK Assassination. Yeah. Excellent yeah. book. I read. So do you want to go ahead and give some socials or some websites that uh, people can find yourself well bancroft press is who actually published our book so you can mm-hmm. go to their website what was that again mm-hmm. bancroft press bancroft okay okay also we're on amazon okay. also barnes and nobles all right mm-hmm. and yet so it's been an absolute pleasure. I think we went a little bit longer than we expected to, but it was so much fun. Yeah. We would well, thank you guys so much. Yeah. Now there is one last question that I always ask. And that question is, is there anything that you would expect us to have asked that we didn't hmm. or, or asked or touched upon? Well, I would say for anyone reading the book, Don't overlook the chapter that has to do with Charles Rogers. Okay. His parents' deaths are connected to the Kennedy assassination, but they never get on those lists of mysterious deaths. And and it is our witnesses, Dorothy Cox. Yes. The voice of Dorothy Cox. Excellent. A good reason for people to go out. Ooh, I wonder if I'm related. (laughs) There's a lot of Cox in my family. (laughs) a lovely lady yeah. yep well you, you all have a, a fantastic afternoon and thanks again for coming yep. on. yep really thanks back. phil we, 
and Lisa, we appreciate you guys. You too. Thank you. Bye. 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 And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. My fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. Hey listeners, it's Lisa and Phil from Yeah Uh Uh-huh. How are we doing? We love feedback. Please use our socials to let us know what you think. We have socials. Twitter. Yeah, uh-huh, pod. Instagram. Yeah, uh-huh, pod. Facebook. Yeah, uh-huh, pod. Notice, Notice a pattern. pattern. Website. www.yeah-uh-huh.com. So let us know. Hit us back. Have a great week.